0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Heritage. (laughs) How are you guys doing? Good, we got a little bit of a ring up here. Hey, before we get started here, a couple of quick announcements, some things that uh, you'll want to be aware of. Last week, uh, we were in here and uh, Mitch, if you'll remember before service, he did a just a sort of informal poll. He said, if you're going to be coming, when we switch to two services, if you're going to be coming to the 9 o'clock service, would you raise your hand? And about... 85% of you guys all raised your hand. And then we said, okay, how many are coming to the 11 o'clock service? And only about 4% said that they were coming to the 11 o'clock service. So um, that made us aware that we, this doesn't solve our problem. Um, and so recognizing that, now I, I have to let you know, just right up front, I was for the nine o'clockers. I, I wanted all of you to be able to come at 9 o'clock. It seemed like just such a comfortable time. And uh, so we, we, we reset the, the service times now. And um, against all of my heart for you and what I desire for you, we've got one service at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> and no, we've, we've reset it for 8.30 and 10.30. Uh, hoping that just a little bit earlier we'll push some of the crowd that that's in that 9 o'clock service to go, you know, well, let's do the, the later service because that that extra half hour is just a little bit uh, more difficult to organize kids and get them up and, and, and that kind of a thing. So, again, the goal in that is not just to uh, split our church, <laughs> right? The goal in that is so that we can have a manageable size of, uh, of a body of believers that are gathered together. We can provide a little bit more intimacy. We can uh, push things a little bit closer. And, and ultimately, I think, serve you better. Um, so with that being said, there is a change coming, and that is instead of a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, we are going from when? to 10.30. 8.30 and 10.30 will be our service times uh, coming up. And that begins October 2nd. October 2nd. Uh, Also, next announcement. uh, Volunteers are needed. We still need more volunteers. So uh, please, if you have a heart to volunteer, sign up at the info desk and we'll get more information to you. And last but certainly not least, coming up the first part of October, on October 8th, there will be a, um, a, a Milestones event for Milestone 5. So if you are in here and you're the parent of a freshman or a sophomore in high school, would you raise your hand? Excellent. Okay, you guys are the ones that I, that I'm talking to. Freshmen and sophomore in high schools in high school are invited to this event. Your the parents are to come with your kids, and it's an equipping event. The heart behind this is to really talk through the mechanics of of being a parent of somebody in that age category. And so we're going to talk about things like um, how is Uh, spiritual formation managed during this time period we've gone from like little kids devotionals to you know something a little bit more substantial how much should the parents be involved in that and how much should we expect our our students our kids um, in the ninth and tenth grade to be involved in that what about what's the gauge for manhood like how do I know when I'm a man, or how do I know when I'm a woman? Because I'm I'm sort of in this in between stage of you know I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm 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 definitely something uh, more mature than that, but not quite an adult. Okay, how do we navigate freedoms? How do we navigate friendships? What are the responsibilities we need to start taking on in expectation of that time when we're going to launch out into the world? So this is a really important event for you to be involved in with your student. Our hope is to equip you as parents for the discipleship of your families through these milestone events. So get signed up for that. Make sure that you hit that if you're a parent of a uh, freshman or sophomore. In the meantime, guys, would you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter Chapter 2, that's where we're going to start this morning. And while you're turning there, uh, I'm going to pray. Father, the saints have gathered here in this sanctuary. How beautiful it was, Lord, when we were singing together and there were those moments where Mitch stepped back from the mic and all of our voices were ascending in praise to you. Truly, God, how beautiful it is for us to be dwelling together in unity, to be experiencing the joy of loving you and of worshiping you together. And now, God, as we open Your Word, it is our desire also to be shaped, to be formed by the Scriptures. To not build the foundation of our lives upon the opinions of men or even the traditions of men, but to have them shaped and formed by the truth of Your Word. So, God, even now, Awaken us by your Spirit. Give us ears to hear your heart and your voice, Lord. Highlight those areas of our heart where you would challenge us to grow and be shaped and be changed. Comfort those, Lord, who have who have felt in times past like you've been silent or are currently going through a season where Where, God, all they long for is your word for you to speak to them. God, encourage and strengthen your people. And continue to unify us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a series for the last three weeks, now concluding here on the fourth week, called Hearing from God, hearing from God. Uh, It's been, I think, uh, just a fantastic study in in, in listening for the voice of God and really um, pressing ourselves to to say, you know, this isn't just some tradition that we follow. This isn't just a, a series of beliefs that we accept to be intellectually true. But God is a person who longs to relate to us personally. He longs to speak to his people and to be known by them. And so in week one, we talked about God speaking, and we we titled that that time, God in his word. We talked about the reality that through that though God can and does speak in a variety of ways to his people, he speaks through his word most clearly. He gave us the defining revelation of his heart and character through the word that became flesh through his son, but then he also preserved for us the inspired or or God-breathed word through the apostles and through early Christians. And he did this so that we would have not only the living example of God's heart, God's desire for us through his son being fleshed out, Jesus, the word incarnate. But also the recorded and written example through the scriptures. And so on week one, we talked about how the scriptures are the highest court of authority for the believer. Preserved supernaturally for us by God. And then in week two, Sam was teaching, and he he talked to us about God and his indwelling spirit. He talked us through the reality of the Holy Spirit living in us, and he talked about the purpose of God being revealed through the new covenant, and that through the gospel, God, who is huge, he's so huge that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him that the earth is his footstool, that he flicked the stars into existence, has made us and fashioned us in such a way that these bodies would be a habitation for his spirit. And by His Spirit, He changes our hearts, He creates new desires for us to live out of, and He leads us. And so we talked about God and His indwelling Spirit. He leads us through the Scriptures, He leads us through our passions, Sam said, and He leads us through conviction. And then He he charged us, He said, Heritage. This is, this is what I want to say to you. If you're, if you're wanting to hear the voice of God in the indwelling spirit, what I, what I want for you is to, to declutter your lives. To declutter the other noise in our lives that keeps us from being able to hear from God. And I want to encourage you, Sam said, to lean in and to listen for His voice in us. So that was week two. Week three, Mitch taught us last week. And he talked about God speaking in circumstance. Here, Mitch taught us about the reality that God can and often does speak through circumstance. And he he gave us what I think was an incredibly profound example from the book of Acts. And here in, in the book of Acts... He shared with us how God is speaking through circumstance, but but if we were participants in that story, we would have most assuredly all read it wrong. Perhaps you remember this story. He shared shared with us how Paul, Timothy, and Silas were prevented by the Holy Spirit from doing ministry in Asia and Bithynia. And while staying in Troas, Paul received a, a vision of a Macedonian man saying, hey, come on over here and help us. So they leave and they go towards Macedonia. And while they're there in Macedonia, they're, they're looking for, what do you think? What do you think they're looking for? A man, right? Based on the vision, they're like, okay, a man said, come over here and help us. This is the Lord. Must be that there's a man. But do they find a man? No, they don't find a man. They find a woman, Lydia. And in her house, a church gets started and ministry starts taking place. And if it was me in that story, you know, I would be still wandering around going, well, that can't be it because she's a woman. I saw, I distinctly saw a man saying, Come on over here, help us out. But Paul was open to what God might be doing. Then later on, there, there's a demon-possessed woman who's who's following Paul and Silas and Timothy around. And, and she's shouting out this. Really effective advertising campaign for the apostles. She follows them around screaming out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that's pretty straightforward, don't you think? Now, again, if I insert myself into the story, I immediately go, Oh, okay, this is the will of the Lord. Look at what's happening. Everywhere we go, we've got a herald, right? And she's shouting out, Hey, These guys are explaining to you the way of salvation from the Most High God. But Paul, having been greatly annoyed, casts the demon out, shuts her up. You go, hmm, I read that one wrong. So then Paul and Silas get in trouble with the city people because there they had made a bunch of money off of this demon-possessed girl who would tell fortunes for people. So now that they lost their income, they're really upset. They get Paul and Silas beaten with rods and thrown in prison. Now, if I insert myself in the story again, I find myself struggling with God leading through circumstance. I'd say, this can't be God's will. I mean, if we just got beat up with rods. Now we're in jail. How can we minister for God if we're sitting in prison? But about midnight, Paul and Silas begin worshiping and praying. And all of a sudden, the earth shakes, and the doors fly open, and the shackles fall off. And and once again, if I insert myself in the story, I'm like, this is the will of the Lord, my escape. But that's not what Paul and Silas do. They stay put. And in each of these circumstances, if if we put ourselves at the center, and we say that God's highest good is my comfort and God exists for what I think is good, then I will be led astray trying to read and understand the circumstances of my life and God's will in it. But you see, Paul and Silas, they didn't do it in that way. They said, God and His glory is at the center. And as a result of that, They stayed in the prison when the shackles fell off. They endured the beatings and sang praises to God afterwards. They cast out the demon-possessed girl because they cared more about her being set free than their own reputation. And when they saw Lydia, they rejoiced that the gospel had come to her household rather than passing her by looking for a man and so mitch last week i think very eloquently he he shared with us that god leads through circumstance for his glory we misread circumstances when we think that god is directing for our comfort god is at the center of his story because his glory is more important than our comfort and so he said to us, we know God is leading when he is being exalted. And when you don't know what glorifies him most, Mitch said, do something. And be open to letting him direct you differently. And now here we come to our fourth and final week. We've talked about God speaking and in hearing the voice of God, God speaking through his word. We've talked about God speaking through the indwelling Spirit. We've talked about God speaking in circumstance. And now today we talk about God speaking in His people. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. I want to read something to you. You can follow along with me. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, speaking to the church, check this out, this is is huge, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what he's saying. It was the plan of God. To reconcile you, his people, unto himself. And now he has fit your lives together in such a way that you are like a temple. A temple that is bonded together and fit together in such a way that it houses the glory of who God is that people as they come to this gathering of the saints the gathering of God's people they might get a glimpse of the glory of who God is he he uses these words to describe them he says you are a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for His own possession, and then He gives us the reason why, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. In other words, God saved you to fit you together in this thing, this living, breathing temple called the church, so that through the church He might continue to speak to the world. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. You see, God loves to speak to his people. Now since the opening, of the, since the opening book of the Bible, it's clear that God loves to speak to his people. We see that so clearly in the way that he spoke to Adam and Eve, how he would walk with them in the cool of the day. So we see that in original creation, that he had this time where he would meet with Adam and Eve, and he would just kind of go for a stroll with them, and they would talk. He would give them instructions on how to live and and how to, to enjoy the creation that he had made for them. We see how he personally spoke to Cain. Before Cain sinned and and slew his brother, killed his brother Abel. And then we see that God spoke to him after he killed Abel. We see that God spoke to Noah and, and saved him and his family. And God spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph. God loves to talk to his people. But it's interesting that direct communication is the only way in which God speaks to his people. Not only does he love to talk to his people, but check this out. He loves to speak through his people. As the Old Testament progresses, we see that not only did God speak directly to his people, but that he often chooses to speak through his people. God spoke directly. To Abraham through this strange character that shows up called Melchizedek. God spoke to Pharaoh through Joseph. God spoke to Israel through Moses. God continues to speak to his people throughout the entirety of the Old Testament through prophets, through priests. Through kings. Now, when these special events would take place, it, would, it was most often that God would speak through people that were appointed by God to be vessels for his communication. In other words, not everybody had the option to speak on behalf of God. There were special people that were commissioned by God, anointed in a special way by God to speak on behalf of him. And those three offices are the ones that I mentioned, prophet, priest, and king. Now usually these people had been given a platform that that made them unique that let the people around them know that they had a special mission from God. And these platforms or offices, the office of prophet, priest, or king became the vehicle by which God would direct and lead his people at various times. Now though God could speak to regular people, only prophets, priests, and kings were consistently chosen by God to be the vessels by which he spoke through his people. That's what makes it unique. Those offices, if everybody could prophesy, if, if everybody had authority like a king, if everybody was to minister to God's people like a priest, then there would be nothing unique about it. But, but those unique roles carried out a specific function for god or on behalf of god now in the new testament it opens with this backdrop of 400 years of silence now god is 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 silent in this time and and that doesn't mean that he didn't speak to his people he was still obviously leading individuals and and ministering to people but what it does mean is that For 400 years, God did not send a prophet or supernaturally raise up a voice on behalf of him. For 400 years. I say 400 years, and we we begin to think, again, in the realm of theory of like, oh yeah, 400 years, I can quantify 400. But listen, that is twice the age of our nation. Twice the age of the United States. That is a significant amount of time for God not to raise up a voice on his behalf. It is silent. And the silence for God's people is deafening. Then all of a sudden, something supernatural begins to stir. All of a sudden, some, a series of events begin to break open, and it appears that God is on the move once again. It appears that God is doing something. Here, here's what happened. At one point, Zachariah is in the temple and he's carrying out his priestly duties. He was um, he had drawn the lot to take care of uh, bringing incense into the temple and lighting the incense and so he's in the temple and he's carrying out his responsibilities and all of a sudden while he's in there and people are praying outside an angel appears to zachariah and it makes a promise that this elderly man and his wife who had no children would would soon have a son and that this son would be a prophet who would speak on behalf of God, the angel says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. Luke 1.15 tells us that he goes on to say that his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah, this coming king. So now all of a sudden, 400 years, No prophet. Not only that, but no king. They've been in captivity. They've been ruled by others for that time period. And the priesthood, it was in shambles. It was corrupt. People were longing to hear from God. Now then, of course, after this, God visits Mary, and soon after, um, John the Baptist is born, and Jesus is born shortly after that, and then the, the New Testament continues to unfold this story, And when John the Baptist grows up, he appears in the desert. And everyone comes out to see this just really weird guy. I mean, if you think about it, there's nothing about this guy that seems very reliable. In fact, it appears that at some point, John the Baptist either killed a camel or found a dead camel and decided, you know, I wonder what that would look like on me. He made a camel hair dress, I suppose, or outfit of some sort. I don't know if he looked like Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone, but he makes some sort of outfit for himself out of camel. He wanders around in the desert. He he looks like a sort of semi, maybe more than semi-homeless person. He's wandering around and, and he just yells at people randomly somebody goes walking by and he locks eyes with them and unwarranted unsolicited all of a sudden he just starts shouting at them repent you crazy guy wild hair wearing a camel skin outfit i mean if that happened to you down at starbucks what would you think Would you think this is surely the voice of the lord Apparently, he has a sweet tooth, but also not much of a budget, maybe because he's homeless. So he goes out into the desert, and apparently this is where the camel hide comes into play. He hides behind his camel outfit and steals honey from wild bees. If you made a lunch appointment with him, he would sit down, and you'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, if he saw a locust hopping by, he'd just catch it real quick and start munching on a giant grasshopper. You ever seen the locust? They're they're huge. So here's this guy with honey in his beard, a camel skin outfit, and locust legs sticking out of his teeth. And anytime anybody walks by, he screams at them. But it creates a stir. Now the arrival of John the Baptist is a big, big deal. It's a big deal because no one spoke on behalf of God for 400 years. There had not been a king. The priesthood is corrupt. And now, for the first time in a really long time, the voice of the prophet is heard among God's people. And so people start coming out from the city. They're like, what's going on with this guy? Is he, is he like Elijah? Is he, is he the prophet that God said would come in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy? Like, who is this guy? And there's a lot of confusion over it. They come out to the river, to this random spot on the River Jordan, to hear the words of this strange character. So how does John use his opportunity to speak on behalf of God? Really, his message has two prongs. It's it's this. He says, first of all, the Messiah is coming. The second thing he says is, get ready. Prepare your life. Repent. Repent. And be baptized and prepare yourself because the king of kings is coming. The Messiah is coming. Prepare yourself. Now one day, as John is on the banks of this river, yelling at people, screaming at Pharisees, he's, you know, I, love, I love his uh, seeker-sensitive message to the Pharisees. It goes like this. You brood of vipers... Who warned you to come out here and flee flee from the wrath to come? I mean, how would you like that? Sunday, I just get up. I'm like, hey, uh, I just have one thing I want to tell you guys. It's from the Lord. You brood of vipers. Why are you even here? I mean, who warned you to flee from God's wrath? How many of you would say, oh, I'm converted by that. Sign me up. So here he is. He's yelling at people. He's he's really making everybody irritated. And then Jesus comes walking up and he has a new message. That message, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is him. This is the one that God told me that the spirit would descend upon him and remain. This is him. Now, as he begins to shout and cry out, people begin to follow Jesus. Shortly after that, the prophet is executed, and the last of the Old Testament prophets is now gone. But don't worry, don't, don't worry, because Jesus is here, right? Right? And, and, and there's something about Jesus that's unique. John the Baptist's ministry decreases. Jesus' ministry increases. And John says, that's the way it's supposed to be. And when Jesus begins to speak, he speaks as prophet and priest and king. Okay, so, so here's what's happening. Jesus speaks like a prophet. Here he has this incredible authority when he's speaking to the people around him. I mean, the, the, the spiritual temperament of the day was that spiritual people quoted other spiritual people and your authority was based upon the rabbi that you quoted. So they would say, Rabbi Hillel says blah, blah, blah. And Rabbi Chaim over here, he says blah, blah, blah. But Jesus comes on the scene And he says, you have heard it said, such and such, but I tell you, as though he had authority to speak on behalf of God. He didn't just quote the latest theologically astute rabbi. He says, no, I'm the authority. You've heard it said as rabbis discuss these things, but let me tell you what it really means. He rebukes the scribes and Pharisees. He explains the heart of God through what was written in the Scriptures and proclaims the heart of God fearlessly because each of those ministries, prophet, priest, and king, have a specific function in the kingdom of God. The prophet proclaims the heart of God. What is on God's heart? The priest is like the hands of God, ministering to God's people, reconciling them unto God making sacrifices for sins and drawing God's people unto himself. And the king acts on behalf of God in the headship of the nation, in the headship of God. But Jesus comes in all three. He speaks like a prophet and he ministers like a priest. There as the roof is being torn open and the paralytic man is lowered down, he says to the man before he heals him, My child, your sins are forgiven you. He forgives sins. He cleanses lepers. He loves the distant from God and is friends with sinners and tax collectors and is reconciling them unto God. Just like the priest did in the Old Testament. And he rules. He doesn't just... He doesn't just speak like a prophet. He ministers like a priest and he he rules like a king. He casts out demons. The demons fear and tremble. Jesus just comes walking by and next thing you know, demon-possessed people hit the dirt and begin to cry out. What have I to do with you? Have you come to cast me away before the time? He has authority. He commands the dead To receive life he cleanses the temple like a king fighting for the freedom of his people he says this place right here what are you doing as he takes tables and throws them to the side and overturns the the money changers and sets the sheep free what are you doing this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves as though he's the king and has authority to do such things. What's the first question they ask him? By what authority do you do this? But then, in the ministry of Jesus, he starts saying really strange things to his followers, things that didn't make sense to them. He says things like, um, the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. Or how about this? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He talks openly about his death with his disciples. Talks about being crucified, and they they keep arguing with him, like, no, that's not going to happen. No, don't do that. But he's got a mission. And then, in the story of Jesus, Jesus died. He didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. Began to urge his followers after the resurrection. Hey, listen. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Because, listen, something better than my presence here is coming. Something better. So go, go. Go go sit. Go wait. The Holy Spirit is coming. And in Acts 2, flip over there in your Bibles. Keep a finger here in, in, in 2 Peter or drop your your, uh, your piece of paper there and go to Acts 2 with me. In Acts 2, you you, you know the story as the, the, the history of the church sort of continues to unfold for us here. The apostles are gathered in an upper room along with 120 people. They're there, they're waiting on the Lord. And all of a sudden, a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, floods the place and people start catching on fire. They've got little flames over the top of their head and they start to speak. But when they speak, they're not talking in their own native language. They begin speaking in other languages. Now as they're speaking people out on the street hear this commotion they're like hey what's going on what's all the ruckus about and people who have been gathered together for the the feast of pentecost from every tribe and tongue and nation around have come now to this place they begin to hear the praises of god in their own language and they're like hey who is that? I mean, you, you might have had that experience if you've ever travel, traveled abroad and been someplace where, where English is not the native language of the area where you're traveling. <coughs> Excuse me. Where all of a sudden you're, you're in this place and everybody's speaking Spanish or everybody's speaking Japanese or whatever it is. And out of that voice, you or out of that sea of, 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 of voices, you hear English. What happens? Your ears perk up. Right? You, you go, oh, hey. Somebody I can understand, right? Well, this is what's happening. They're in Jerusalem. And there's 120 people, and they're all speaking sort of over the top of each other. And, and there's this thing that's happening. And, and all of a sudden, the people who are from every place else and have been gathered to Jerusalem for this feast begin to hear these voices praising God in their own native languages. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Now, what's the conclusion you would come to? What would you think? Um, Wow, it's quite a party, some sort of multicultural event. Uh, wow, the, look at the diversity of this city. This is amazing. Uh, what would you think? Well, the conclusion for the people there are like, uh, they must be drunk. that has got to be what, what, what's really going on here, is that they have to have been drinking. <clears throat> and so um, Peter, in the middle of this, stands up, and addresses the concerns of the crowd with the 11 apostles with him. He lifted up his voice, verse 14 of chapter 2, and he said, "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known unto you, and give ear to my words, "'for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, "'since it's only the third hour of the day. "'It's only 9 o'clock in the morning.' wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter says, I know you guys are confused by what's going on. Let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you, the prophets are gone. They died out with John the Baptist. Jesus is gone. He ascended to the Father and is no longer with us. But God is speaking. God is speaking. He's speaking right now and He's speaking through these people and He's speaking in languages that they've never even learned. God is fulfilling the promise of His Word. He is speaking right now. Listen. This has happened all because of what Jesus did. God is speaking again and He's speaking not just through prophets and priests and kings. He's speaking through everyone who calls upon His name. The same Spirit, the same anointing, the same power that was on the prophet, that was on the priest, that was on the king, now resides in God's people. All those who call upon the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved and God will pour out His Spirit upon them all. Brothers and sisters, that's us. That is us. As Peter preaches here, he preaches the gospel under the crowds that have gathered before those that are speaking in tongues. And when asked, what shall we do? He talks about how God sent his son. He, whoops, you guys killed him. But don't worry, God raised him from the dead, and now that he's been raised from the dead, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is ruling and reigning by his spirit through his people. And, and, and the people there in Jerusalem, like we we killed the Messiah, we killed God's son, the representative. What what do we do? In Verse thirty eight, Peter responds in the same way that the last Old Testament prophet responded. He's carrying on the prophetic ministry. You ready? Here's what he says. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Hey, you want to know what to do? You want to know what to do with this message? Repent, be baptized, trust Jesus and that same Spirit will be in you that is upon these 120 in this upper realm, the same spirit that was in the prophet, in the priest, in the king in the Old Testament, causing them to speak on behalf of God, the same spirit that was in John the Baptist producing the same message that caused him to leap in his mother's womb. The same Spirit that was in Christ speaking like a prophet the truth of God, the heart of God to His people, ministering like a priest to the hurting among God's people with authority like a king casting out devils among God's people. That same Spirit desires to live in, and check this out, and speak through you. You. So this understanding, then, becomes the bedrock of how the church understood their identity in Christ from the get-go. It was foundational to the way that they lived their lives and interacted with one another, and it became the central understanding as the church continued to expand and grow, so much so that it was normal for the church to gather for the entire day on Sunday. I did a little bit of research this week. I, I love reading early church fathers. I love reading the patristics. And some of it gets kind of weird and, you know, whatever. The early, the early church fathers, up to about uh, 300 or 400 A.D., I like to just go through that stuff every once in a while. Because I've been fascinated with the question, which is like, how did we get to where we are now? You know what I mean? You ever wonder that? Like, okay... I see some uh, glimpses of what the church life was like in the early church, but then how do we get to where we're at right now, where it's like five songs, two prayers, and a sermon? How how does that work? I mean, I'm not sure I see that very clearly in the scriptures, and where did this come from? Where did this pattern get handed to us? Well, you have to understand that from the get-go, most of the churches that started were were house churches. They weren't big public places like this. And so the groups were smaller and more intimate. Matter of fact, you know, when we think of a house church, we still picture a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a giant living room, right? Uh, Most of your living rooms were as big as the houses were in those days, if you go to Israel, if you have a chance to, to travel to the Middle East and, and look at some of the archaeology around there, you'll find that there are really no big houses. Big houses are a sort of modern and even American invention. So we, we, we tend to read our own cultural understanding. So in order to ha- meet from house to house, you can't have a ton of people, right? So they broke up into small groups. And they met in small groups, and they would share with one another. And they would speak to each other. But on Sundays, they would try and get everybody together. And sometimes it was in a big space, like a a school that was rented out or something like that. But the church life was in these house-to-house meetings, these small, little, intimate meetings. And as the church continued to expand, it was normal for people to gather for the entire day on Sunday. They would get up with the sun they would come to church. If you read early church documents like the Didache, okay? Uh, we, it was funny. I remember probably seven years ago. Uh, I was gathered together with a bunch of pastors, and and uh, one of the one of the pastors who who uh, was was there at that place. He said, "Hey, have you ever read um, the the Didache?" I'm like, um, I don't think that's how you say it. Uh, i i think it's didash you know that's what i said it's the didash it's it's pronounced didache okay and and fortunately we had somebody who was a greek scholar who could help us both out at the time so it's this early document that was basically a how-to manual for church services and it was written really early on like second century okay and, and it talked about how to gather God's people together. And they, and they had communion. They broke bread. They ate meals together. There was, there was two services. There was one um, that was for, uh, for, for people who were already members of the church, if you will. People who had passed the test of discipleship. And then other people who were called catechumen, people who were thinking about becoming members of, of the church, could attend um, that service as well. But they were forbidden to take communion. They were forbidden to do that. And, and, and they would live together all day. And then throughout the week, they would meet, break up and meet in these house churches from, from place to place. And, and throughout the course of a day, it wasn't one long continuous sermon like, like my sermons are, right? It was, it was something much more dynamic than that because they had a greater amount of time. And there would be a moment where they would read the scriptures. Remember, most of the time, people in that day and age couldn't read. And they didn't have access to carry around a Bible because the scroll of Isaiah weighed something like 70 pounds. Right? It wasn't, you just didn't carry that around. And so those gathered times were times where they would go through the scriptures together. But then after that, in the times of fellowship, there was time for God to speak through his people and they would they would talk and and interact and share with each other hey god's been showing me this or i feel like i have a word from the lord the lord right now is speaking to me and brother i feel like god wants you to know this and they would speak prophetically and they would exercise the gift of tongues now i i I thought okay so when did that die out when did that happen um, actually, it didn't die out for about 400 years. It's not until the, the acceptance of, uh, the, the, of Christianity in the Roman Empire that that practice begins to really die out. So that tells me, okay, for 400 years, from the apostles moving forward, the normal purpose of gathering was not only for the reading of the Scriptures, which it was because the people co- who couldn't read needed to know God's Word. They needed to be informed. Okay? So there was that, yes, the scriptures, but also they shared life together, and they spoke into one another's life. They spoke into one another's life. They ministered to each other with the authority of God. They spoke as prophets. They cared for each other as priests. And they prayed for the sick with the authority of the king. And they cast out devils. As a matter of fact, many of the church fathers talk consistently and regularly about all the supernatural things that God was doing through their churches. So here at Heritage, we've said this phrase. It's, it's a good one. I love repeating it because it's, it fits us perfectly. We, we're charismatic We believe that that same spirit that fell at Pentecost is the same spirit that is in each and every one of us. We believe that with all of our hearts. And that tells me something. tells you something. If the only place that we do church is here, it is a massive failure. Okay? It is a massive failure failure to live in all that God has called us to as his people. Those gifts were exercised in the context of tight relationships and family. It was in households where you would say to a brother who was telling you about his life, hey, I feel like God is speaking something to me right now that you need to hear, that you need to know. Hey, brother, do you remember when we were talking about the Scriptures earlier this morning? Don't you think that God was speaking in that way? And the gifts of the Spirit and the laying hands of the the elders upon the sick, all of that happened in small, intimate groups where people shared life together. Now, as you can imagine... When a group of people all believe that they are a prophet, or a priest, or worse yet, a king, things can get kind of messy, don't you think? All of a sudden, no, I, I have the voice of the Lord, and so they, you know, in the early church, things got a little chaotic, and people would begin to speak over the top of each other, and, and call out during the teaching of the word, and during the scriptures being spoken, And so God, through the apostles, put parameters. He put some guardrails on that. He said, hey, listen, um, don't talk over the top of each other. That's just rude. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He's a God of order, not of chaos. And in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, he lays out for us order within the church that the gifts of God's Spirit could be exercised in ways that are orderly and considerate and caring for one another. And as people began to listen to the instruction of the apostles, chaos became less of the norm and order became the pattern for the gathering of God's people. It was normal for the church to gather for the entire Sunday and all throughout the week and to talk to each other and reach out to the world around them. The common fellowship that people experienced was that God could and did speak through any and all of his people at any time. So in establishing guardrails, God provides protection for his people. He establishes rules of order and explains the way that he orchestrates things for his glory in passages like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. The church enjoyed the gifts of the Spirit all the way through the 4th century, and this was the normal Christian life. He established uh, offices that could, that could help orchestrate, so there was, there was pastors and teachers and evangelists, but there was also the everyday experience of all of God's people fellowshipping and speaking into one another's lives. The church enjoyed the gifts of the Spirit all the way through the 4th century. This was the normal Christian life for all the early church. Now question, is it yours? Do you have this kind of fellowship? Are you known? Are you involved in, in, in small, close groups where people can speak into your life and they can say, dear brother or dear sister, I have something, I've been praying for you, I care about you, and God has spoken something to me, and and I want you to hear that. Are you in that place? I've got five things that I'm going to wrap up with here. Question, how do we respond to this? Okay, so... If that's God, what God wants, if Second if, if Peter, when he, when he describes us as a, as a building being fit together like living stones, when he describes us as a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, when he describes us as those who proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, how do we respond if everybody has the same spirit and God could speak through any one of us at any time? How do we respond to that? Number one, if you're taking notes, be open. Be open. Listen, God might speak to you from places you don't expect. From places you don't expect. There's so many examples throughout the scripture. Balaam, of course, that's the, the famous one, right? Where all of a sudden his, his donkey starts talking to him. Didn't expect that. Or well, there's Pilate, right? Who's about to order the execution of Jesus. And his wife comes up to him and says, Hey, I have nothing to do with this man. I had a dream. And he ignores it to his own peril. There's the prophet in the book of Acts who who prophesies that a famine is coming. And the church responds in obedience, takes up an offering to care for those. No doubt mimicking what they learned from the life of Joseph. So be open. Listen, it might be your kids who speak to you. It might be that brother. You think, man, his life is a wreck. And he might be the one who comes to you and God begins to minister to and speak to you through him. It may be a pastor. Sometimes God speaks through musicians, through songs. I can't tell you how many times where I've, I've needed to hear from God and I'm, I'm listening to the radio and a song comes on at that perfect moment with a perfect reminder of what I need to hear from God. God still speaks through His people. So we need to be open. Second thing, we need to be cautious. 1 Thessalonians 5, Thessalonians five uh, ends this way. It says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now check this out. Ready? Do not quench the Spirit. Don't, don't say, hey, that can't be God. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Anytime somebody claims to, to speak on behalf of God, don't go, oh, God can't use that jerk. But then look at the next the next verse. It says this verse twenty one of chapter five. But test everything. Test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Test everything and hold fast to that which is good. In other words, be cautious. Don't just believe every person who claims to speak on behalf of God is automatically a shoo You test it. How do you test it? You test it by the Scriptures. Does it line up with what God has already said? Third thing, we need to be open. We need to be cautious. Thirdly, we need to be bold. Hey, I have no doubts, even right here in this room, there is somebody somewhere, or there are multiple people in this room, that God has been prompting you to insert yourself into the life of somebody that you love, to bring to them the gospel, to share with them some word of comfort or encouragement to speak into their lives, maybe even to prophesy. And those of you who are in here, you go, man, I'm uncomfortable with that. That seems weird. I don't know. I don't want to come off a little bit too preachy, and I'm worried about this. Listen, be bold. When God is prompting you, obey. Speak what he's called you to. Listen, sometimes God speaks naturally. Okay, that is, you're just having a conversation and, and, and somebody says that one thing that you needed to hear and you go, wow, they didn't even mean that, but I, I totally needed that. Or the pastor is speaking and, and he's just doing his normal Sunday thing and there's people in the, in the congregation who go, oh man, I needed to hear that word. The pastor has no clue, right? Half the time, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll have people, myself and, or Jeff, and we'll, we'll get emails. Oh man, you have no idea how... God used that, and you you respond, well, tell me, tell me what God did. And then they say something that wasn't even the point of your sermon. (laughs) Like you had no intention of saying what they heard, but God was speaking by His Spirit. So God speaks through people naturally, but listen, sometimes, guys, sometimes God speaks supernaturally through people. That is, with purpose and with a point, He says, go to that person and tell them what I'm telling you. They need to hear it. Be bold. Fourthly, be present. Be open, be cautious, be bold. Fourthly, be present. Listen, the gathering of God's people is where God chooses to speak. He made us a nation of priests, a royal priesthood. If you're not around God's people, if you're not in fellowship, you are cutting out so much of the avenues and the ways in which God directs and speaks to his people. Be present. Now We've noticed here at, at Heritage um, that there is a sort of core group of people and then there's these, these other folks who are um, maybe once or twice a month attenders who just kind of are these out this outer crust of people that are, that are floating and they're not really grafted in. They're not really plugged in. And that's our heart to, to absolutely reach out and, and, and start pulling people into to real relationships where they can be known and loved and encouraged. But let me just say that if that's you, if, they, if you're here today and you're, you're not really tied in and you're not super committed maybe you even feel a little bit cautious about being plugged into a church or being a part of it or, or being a part of the, the vital um, interior of the ministry here at Heritage, can I just encourage you with something? Take a step. Be engaged. You will be so surprised at the multitude of ways in which God will speak to and minister to you when you begin to let your life be known by the people here in our church. So you have to be present. One of the main reasons to be at the gathered times of the church is that this is the way that God speaks through His people. And fifthly, and lastly, be expectant. Do you you believe that God wants to speak to you I mean is Sunday gathering or are your huddle groups are they just obligations of a Christian you you, you know you've got like a list for your week okay so here's here's my list I've got uh, laundry and some dishes i got to mow the lawn and um, go to church is that how that works Or is it your expectation that when you come with God's people and you're gathered in one spot, that the Holy Spirit might work in such a way that He could speak either to you through the body of believers, through the priesthood of all believers, or, and what a joy this is, that God could speak through you to somebody else? Is it your expectation that God desires to presently speak to His people? And are you willing to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Every major event in my life That I can think back to. Has come as a result of God speaking into my life. Through people. November of 1997. I was a drug addict. Who had gotten arrested. And was looking at going to prison. I ended up in a sanctuary. Out of Applegate Christian Fellowship. Pastor John came out, he opened his sermon, and he opened his sermon with an analogy. He said, a young man came into my office who was in trouble with the law and had a problem with drugs. That was his opener. I had just been arrested the week before. I remember... In the school of ministry, I was praying about where to go, what to do. How, God, how are you going to use my life? I feel equipped by you. I know that you've put a passion in me to talk about your word. What do you want me to do? And I was thinking, I was hoping, I was praying, he would send me someplace tropical like Vanuatu. But I knew in my heart there was this, this thing about cave junction, Right? God had spoken to me very very specifically through a passage in Mark chapter 5 where he said, Go back to your hometown to the man of the Gadarenes and tell them what great things God had done for you. And I I felt like I was the man of the Gadarenes coming from a drug-addicted past and everything else. And I knew God was speaking that to me, but I wasn't bold enough to do it. And so one night in a gathering of worshiping brothers, this, this group of people, by the Spirit in a time of waiting upon the Lord... One of the brothers stood up and he said, I feel like somebody here is holding back what God wants to do in their lives. He's told you where to go. He's told you what to do. But you're not bold enough to do it. And I just want you to know, it's time to speak it out in faith. It's time, it's time to act. So I stood up at that meeting and I told the guys in the school of ministry how that I felt like God was calling me to Cave Junction they laid hands on me prayed for me that sunday a man from Cave Junction offered me and my friend a free place to stay so that we could plant a church there guys over I could tell you hundreds hundreds and hundreds of stories about how God used his people to speak to my life. Do you expect God to do that for you? God, give us eyes of faith. Give us a heart to hear. Give us a desire, Lord, a longing for your word to us but also through us. And week after week as we gather together as your people We pray, Lord, that we would have a heart to minister to one another, to speak to each other. God, use us in one another's lives. You've called us a royal priesthood, a nation of priests, your kingdom people. So now, God, we trust you to accomplish Your will in speaking to and through us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? As we sing one final closing song. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. God, we love you. Take our lives. Use it for your glory.